Welcome. I'm Jay. And I'm Shaw. This is Podcast 8. We're getting it rolling, uh, and we have a special guest with us here today, Andrew Lynch. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, it's, it's just awesome. Uh, my name is Andrew Lynch. I'm the RCI director here at St. Anne's. I'm also the confirmation coordinator for the parish, and I get loaned over to the school from the parish to teach a couple eighth grade classes, um, and I also teach the eighth grade school of religion uh, uh, confirmation classes. So... Okay, cool. I'm so, a busy uh, guy here. Yeah, busy, busy yeah. guy, I'd say so. <laughs> I'm um, so glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome yeah. to have him. And, and, we're and gonna... like the uh, the new Tonight Show, they, they make all the, the guests promise to not go on any other show <laughs> if they come on the, the new Tonight Show. So I promise this will be my only podcast. <laughs> Exclusivity uh, agreement yeah. here. Good. Awesome. All right. Sign on Thank the dotted line I'm, now. I'm glad you're with us. You're good people. Cool. Um. Uh, before we kind of get going today, yeah, we have Andrew here, so it's a, a special show. We're going to talk a little bit about the new evangelization and sort of what that is, um, and how that sort of affects us as Joe Catholic or Jane Catholic. Um, so before we get into that, uh, make sure to hit us up on Twitter. That's at StanPV or on Facebook. You can get to all of that really easy through the website, just StanPV.org on the right-hand side column there. I think... It's time for my all-time favorite part of the show, <laughs> the Pope tweet. He gets so giddy about this. Pope tweets. Pope tweet. Okay. Um, the Pope tweeted today. On today is the feast of Saint Joseph, right? Yes, it is. The day we're recording on the feast of Saint Joseph, the solemnity. Really, it's really cool. So you can be a little relaxed on your Lent. Um, sacrifices. So yeah. anyway, the Pope tweeted, Christian love is loving without counting the cost. It is the lesson of the Good Samaritan. This is the lesson of Jesus. Cool. I like it. Any it thoughts, is. Andrew? Yeah. Well, Andrew. you know, I always love the Good Samaritan. Um, if you go back and read the passage of the Good Samaritan, um, read it read it closely. I, I know that we, we typically focus on the Good Samaritan for the moral aspect. Um, but if you read it carefully and closely, you'll notice that a lot of it uh, can be tied directly into our faith in the church itself. Um, that obviously the Good Samaritan represents Christ. But you'll notice that um, when the Good Samaritan takes this man, um, he's going to pour what? Oil and wine on his wounds, yeah. images of the sacraments. And he's huh. going to take that man to an inn the church and he's going to give enough money to the innkeeper to take care of him until the good Samaritan returns. So Christ picks us up and entrusts us to the church uh, and, and the innkeeper, the Pope and gives the Pope everything that he needs to take care of us until Christ returns. That's a really kind of a a cool thing about the good Samaritan passage. Yeah. um, That sometimes we we don't, that's how the early Christians um, had interpreted the passage. Mm -hmm. It's not just not just good feelings necessarily, but there's a really like yeah. beautiful analogy there for the church, and that's beautiful. That's really good. You, you know, Shaw, I think this Andrew guy knows his stuff. <laughs> Guys, keep so up, keep up. One other thing here on this that just <laughs> okay. popped into my head. Yeah. Kierkegaard, philosopher, Lutheran mm-hmm. philosopher, not Catholic, but but great philosopher. Um, he looked at the Good Samaritan, and, and when I was reading him, one of the things that I thought was really neat from what he said is that um, you know oftentimes we think like we are supposed to be a neighbor to some, like we are supposed to be a, a, a good neighbor um, and we, we're, we're supposed to help other people. Um, but Kierkegaard said that, you know, um, that 
we, the, the neighbors back and forth, it's not just a one-way thing, that that person that we help is also supposed to be our neighbor. And so sometimes we, we think of it as a one-way reality, but in fact, it goes both ways. Sure. Um, yeah. So wow. we had kind of an insight there. Cool. I don't know. Awesome. Very good to think about. Cool. Um, well, let's move on to the bulk of our yes. show. So our main topic, we just I just said, yeah, we're going to talk about the new evangelization and sort of what this is and... I mean, it, it's been around for a while, but it, it's still something we're sort of a digesting as Catholics and putting into reality, I think. And Andrew's going to kind of intro that for us. What is the new evangelization, Andrew? Well, maybe we should start with what is the old evangelization? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to say that the new evangelization means that there is no longer an old evangelization. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that one of the things that we should, even though we're in the United States, we tend to think, okay, Christianity's been here since the beginning, and this is a kind of a more or less a Christian-inhabited country. But I would argue that in the majority of the world, the world is getting more and more religious, whether it's Buddhist or Hindu or Confucian or Shinto or Christian or Jewish, whatever, Orthodox. Um, the world is getting more religious, while I'd say Western Europe and perhaps even North America the number of you know, religion is kind of declining. So yeah. I would say that the, the old evangelization, where it, that means proclaiming the gospel to somebody who has never heard of Christ, that is going on in leaps and bounds throughout the world. Um, in fact, uh, statistics show that by 2050, there will be more Christians in Ethiopia than in Russia. Um, and so when you think about the explosive growth of Christianity in, say, Africa uh, and Asia— we don't even know in China what the exact numbers are because there are a lot of Catholics that are underground in China. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the old evangelization, spreading the gospel to people who haven't heard Christ. And, and I'd say in, like in Africa, it really exploded when, um, when Africans became the missionaries. You know, we, you had all the colonialization that happened and you had priests from France that went down to try to bring Christ to people. But when, when, when the own indigenous peoples began to become Christian, they start telling their neighbors, their friends. I mean, we just had Pope Francis um, just appointed new cardinals. And one of those cardinals um, is the, was the archbishop or is the archbishop of Ouigadougou, Burkina Faso, the, the capital of Burkina Faso. And so we're, we are very much a global church. And so the old evangelization is still very important. Now, when we talk about the new evangelization, we're kind of talking about um, the places that have been Christian historically, but maybe uh, are having um, issues as far as maybe it's church retention, maybe it's people that maybe call themselves Christian, but, you know, aren't necessarily practicing it or living it the way that they could be to the fullest. And I saw Pope, I think Pope Francis, a recent tweet, he said, look, when we evangelize, we shouldn't look like we just came from a funeral. You know, we should have smiles on our face because we've got good news. That's the gospel. It means good news. And if we've got good news, then, then we want to share that and we want to put a smile on it. It's not a, um, you know, something to be somber about. And so when we talk about the new evangelization, we're talking about just really presenting the gospel anew in lands that, that have had it, but maybe are having, you know, difficulties, whether it's from scandal or whether it's just uh, maybe a... a, a faith crises for people. Um, I mean, I'm last name Lynch. I'm Irish. I, I would love to go to Ireland maybe for a month of the year in the summer to go do a little new evangelization yeah. in Ireland. And we just had St. Patrick's we Day, need, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We need to, you know, let's gather some, gather the troops. Let's go to Ireland and do the new evangelization. Um, and so that's kind of what I think we're talking about, new evangelization. Um, there is this other term, apologetics, which I think some people are familiar with. 
And apologetics, I mean, I would say, I don't want to say apologetics is pure defense. Um, and But you might say that apologetics is like defense and um, evangelization is like the offense, right? Evangelization is get out there, proclaim the gospel, and, and make it alive for people. Whereas, you know, apologetics is, I mean, it's kind of like kung fu. You know, you're never supposed to use it to hurt somebody. You're, you're, you use it when you're attacked and when you have to defend yourself. And so I think we live in a society where we get a lot of people that ask us questions about our faith. And apologetics is the art of not apologizing for being Catholic. It's the art of giving the faith a good defense. So if somebody asks a question, um, not to get defensive, but to be able to say, oh, well, this is what we believe um, as Catholics, this is what the church teaches, and this is why. You know, this isn't like it's, this is the truth and this is the end of it, but here's the real reason why. And so apologetics is another very important aspect, um, but it's not quite the same uh, as evangelization. I mean, I'd say St. Peter said in, in his first or second epistle, he said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, but to do so with, uh, I think, reverence and patience or humility, um, and that's the kind of the idea of what is apologetics. It, it's, it's giving a reason for this hope that we have, um, and, and giving it a reason. So we're, it's a real explanation. It's not sort of a, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, but, but here's a good, here's some logic, but, um, but also hopefully in the way that we express, I think this is where it comes back to the new evangelization. I mean, this is where you can include apologetics into the new evangelization. Um, we're going we're gonna to explain the faith, but it's not just going to be a rationalistic, you know, here's a, here's a syllogism, here's the perfect logic, you know, like we're Spock or something. Um, instead, I, I always like to think, you know, there, there's truth, there's goodness, and there's beauty. And a lot of the questions, I think, um, and this might be something good for us to, to maybe discuss here uh, tonight, a lot of questions that I get are not usually about, I mean, I used to live in Alabama. I used to get asked questions about the Macula Conception or the Eucharist, you know, particular dogmatic things. But I would say, you know, having also lived in Minnesota and, you know, being here in Kansas, I think a lot of the questions that I get are like, why does the church teach this or that about morality? Like, that's the big thing. So when we think about truth, goodness, and beauty, the questions, a lot of times are about the goodness. What is the moral teaching? Mm -hmm. And I always like to say, you know, as as an apologetic and as an evangelization um, way to approach this is, yes, there is the truth. We got truth, goodness, and beauty. You can come at it from truth. You can give the logic and the reason and all that. But then the beauty aspect is... How do we how do we live it? You know, how do we express it? How do we you know put a smile on what we live? And, and because that's the saints right there. The saints are those who have perfectly live a life of true goodness, right? They have expressed this this joy of the faith, and they are solidly faithful in all the church's teaching. But because that they lived it, you know, you you can argue with somebody who um, you know maybe you know, the logic and the reason doesn't get through to them. But you know what? If you're a saint, and if you're a saint and you know what you believe, hey, and I think that's what we're talking about, the new evangelization. It's, it's, it's getting out there, proclaiming the gospel, not being afraid to share it, but doing so in a spirit of, of reverence and love and joy and saintliness. And, you know, the Roman Empire was conquered with, you know, 12 nice Jewish boys who became saints. Imagine if we could get 12 saints of St. Anne's. I mean, imagine if there's a book someday about 12 saints from St. Anne's and how it changed the world, because that can happen. We just got to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I see that in like, I mean, you, it's a beautiful story when you hear someone that sort of read their way into the Catholic Church that came through it for the truth aspect, that intellect. But like you said, more often than not, I mean, the saints come at it from that beauty aspect. They just have this ardent love for Christ. And I see that more and more that 
that's what's going to cause a real conversion sometimes. I mean, yes, any point like someone can come in from truth, goodness, or beauty, but that beauty aspect, so much of humanity is, is drawn to beauty. And if we can show them the real beauty of Christ and the faith, then, then yeah, they're going to come in through intellect and goodness as well. And I love that. It's, it's awesome. There's a philosopher, Peter Kraft, out in Boston College. Yeah. He said his analogy is um, um, this is kind of the danger of the arts, of movies and TV shows and music, is that the mind, you know, we can put a little guardian gatekeeper at the front door where we talk about reason and logic and we can try to pick apart an argument. I mean, it, you could be a six-year-old and you can argue with your parents about just about anything. I had a friend who would argue that the, that the, the sky was green when it was obviously blue, just for the, for the sake of trying to argue. Um, but, you know, there's a back door to the mind and to the heart, and that's through beauty. Yeah. That's through what we put in through music and TV shows and books to read and all that stuff because we don't put up a guardian for that. We just sort of take it in, and we don't realize that what we're taking in, when you express something that you would put forth as something beautiful, it's, it's built on something. Um, in fact, uh, you would say that truth, goodness, and beauty are ontologically related, that, that goodness comes out of truth and beauty comes out of the good. And so if we're letting in things that are claiming to be beautiful, well, what's the goodness and the truth behind that? Yeah. And that's the stuff that we don't think about. We just sort of take it in. Yeah. And we've really lost it as a, as a church that, I mean, we used to own the arts, right? I mean, you look at any good art from the past, and like, hey, that was Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. We've really lost that. And if we can reclaim that, I think that's going to be a big part of the new evangelization. It's a renewal, right? So if we can renew the arts, the beauty in the world, then we can renew the faith. And that's a tough thing to take back, I think. <laughs> so you're saying don't run away yeah. from the arts. Don't yeah, run away don't do from the world. We're not called to be. In fact, I think there was a, a some sort of bishop conference or council meeting or something about the new evangelization. And they specifically said the new evangelization does not mean closing in on ourselves and mm-hmm. abandoning the world. You know, Christ came to save the world. and It's an easy thing to want to do, though. You're like, oh, there's all this horrible stuff mm-hmm. out there. I want to yeah. protect my family, my kids. So, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, we're going to start our own little enclave here and kind of keep to ourselves. And that's easy to do. But I think, yeah, the hard thing is to not turn in, but to mm-hmm. turn out and say, well, we're going to live for the world to kind of get them to heaven, too. And well, isn't that what community is all about? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we think we're in this alone. I'm here to evangelize and to be a good Christian. Yes, I am. But, you know, if I go out into the world trying to do the new evangelization, and I'm just winging it on my own, and I don't have my parish behind me. I don't have my faith behind me. I'm not getting to Mass like I should. If I'm not getting fed, I can't feed. And, I, and I, the strength that I have uh, comes through, yes, the faith and the sacraments. But within all that context, we're drawn together as a community. And mm-hmm. so... We need each other in this. This is a group effort. Yeah. So to kind of get down to the, the brass tacks, the nitty-gritty, Benedict XVI talked about evangelization, the new evangelization specifically. Um, I think this was actually before he was pope. He was just a cardinal then. But talking about it in that we need to, in order to bring about the new evangelization, we need to show people like the art of living, the, the path that they need to live themselves. And through that, like, I mean, as Catholics, well, what is the path? Well, Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the path. So to kind of get down to that, how does that work here? I mean, if we want 12 awesome saints here at St. Anne's, how does that work? I mean, more specifically, how do you do that, Andrew? Like, here at St. Anne, how do you show the path? Well, yeah, I'm, I kind of draw on some personal experience. Obviously, I mentioned that I used to live in Alabama. I got asked a lot of questions mm-hmm. um, day in, day out. And I, I saw there were, like, two kinds of Catholics that— Catholics are more like me that would jump in and get in there and discuss it. 
And some Catholics that were just so beat down by the questions, you know, a Catholic <laughs> question came up and I literally saw people sink down into their desks. Like, Not don't <laughs> ask me. I just don't, I'm, you know. Yeah. And, and, and we don't want to get demoralized. And I think that we need to build each other up. And so my past experience has been, you know, working with friends that considered maybe being Catholic. I had a really good friend of mine. He married a Catholic woman. He wasn't baptized. He wasn't. He was Christian, yes, but not really in any particular church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having personal friendships with with people that you know, where hey, you know, just a couple things here or there. It's not a. We didn't necessarily have you know three hour engrossing conversation about the faith because it isn't something that in the evangelization I was trying to evangelize my friend, but I didn't want to you know, knock him down uh, or, 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 or impose things on him. Mm-hmm. It's got to have a conversion of heart. And he actually went back with me and a, a third friend, a second friend of mine. So there's three of us. And he was a, just a devout atheist. Um, and we had a little drafting class in high school. And we did not talk about a lot of Catholic stuff together at the time. But we all kind of stayed in contact over the years. And the one friend who had married a Catholic, um, he asked me once, hey, you know, is there a book I could just look at? I just want to know what my wife believes. Mm-hmm. And I, I did some research. I found him a book. I gave it to him. It sat on a shelf, I think, for two or three years. Yeah. Um, eventually, he picked it up. And by the end of the book, he said to his wife, you know, I think I got to be Catholic. <laughs> he fought it the whole way through reading the book. But, but you know, it takes at least, you know, when we share the gospel, obviously, there has to be a sympathy from the person who's receiving. And you know what? Mm-hmm. This took years with my friend. And I, I didn't force it. I gave mm-hmm. him what I could. And eventually, he had to take that that response to faith, the response to what was there. Yeah. And as a response, he looked this up, and he came into the church. I got to be a sponsor, and um, a friend of ours who was atheist. Um, in the meantime, he had actually became a Catholic himself. And at my friend, my, the one friend who did become Catholic, uh, at the Easter Vigil Mass, the two priests that were there just happened to be the the, the, co- the concelebrant priest at the Mass was the priest that had baptized my atheist friend. <laughs> and so here we were, the three of us, you know, 10, 12 years later on this Easter Vigil, and it was just an incredible, incredible experience, and you see how divine providence mm-hmm. has to play. And I would say that with the evangelization, there's all sorts of things that we can do, but we have to let the Holy Spirit do His part too. Yeah. You know, we're so eager to get converts that sometimes we don't let the Holy Spirit work. So, so mm-hmm. there's, there's, we have to let the person respond. We have to let the Holy Spirit do his job. And all we can do is to be there, to be faithful, and to love those people and to draw them in. Now, as far as what I've been doing here at St. Anne's, um, um, I, I think the new evangelization is, for me as an educator, is tying faith into interdisciplinary learning to show that religion class is not just one of the classes that you take in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's meant coming to the science room or the science class to talk about faith and science and particularly have questions about evolution, the Big Bang Theory, all that stuff. Um, it gives me an opportunity to talk about great men like Father Lemaitre, who was the guy who came up with the Big Bang Theory. I mean, he was a Catholic priest. Yeah. Um, and we just had a couple of days ago further evidence showing the Big Bang uh, as a reality. And that's that's a, that's from a priest, you know. God said, let there be light. And as a Catholic, we say, all right, well, let's let's take a look for that. Where is this? And guess what? There was a moment 13.6 billion years ago that the universe came into existence by some act outside of our reality. You know, and that, that ties right into our faith. Um, and so coming to a science class and doing that. I, mm-hmm. I also am a really big fan of history with church history, also military history. Um, and, and you see, you know, showing students how 
the map of the nations have has come into existence and um, and, and and to show God's providential hand in history. You know, I think we, we get a lot of history, but our history is just this is kind of what happened. There isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a plan. It just is an unfolding set of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I want to show history that's theistic, history that's told as if there is a God and he has a plan. You yeah. know, the last commandment of Christ is what? Go and baptize the nations, right? So we, we see here that the church isn't a nation, but the church is sent to the nations to evangelize the mm-hmm. nations and, and to strengthen the nations. And so getting in there to talk about faith and history. Um, in my religion class, it's, it's, I've, I've learned so much about emphasizing the need for prayer. Um, you know, I, always, I was always a prayerful person growing up, so I just sort of assume everyone's like me. You go to Catholic school. I only went to Catholic school through uh, seventh grade, so I didn't get to go after that. Some students yeah. asked me, well, where would you go, you know, Mr. Lynch? Would you go to uh, Rockhurst or Miege for high school? And I'd say, <laughs> uh, neither. My, my, my family didn't have the money to get me to a Catholic high school. So yeah. you, the fact that you get to go, that's, that is incredible. That, that is so awesome. And that's one of the reasons why I had to learn more, because I wasn't in a Catholic school. Um, so getting into the classroom and, and really helping them foster a prayer life, I have them make a prayer space. Um, so that way they have a place they're going every day. I give them things to throw into that prayer space, um, and they're building that up. I also started a couple of clubs at the school. Um, one club is a, a strategy games club. We're, playing, we're looking at maps together. I'm talking about faith. They get to see this is what actually happened in history. This is, you know, this is geography. And Are this you is faith. playing Risk? There Come is a little on. risk. I, okay, I even have, I I even have Lord of the Rings risk. Oh, yeah. Even, if you have ever seen that. <laughs> yes, but, uh, I own that. The, the most awesome. popular game. You need game. to stop by one of his. Yeah, actual, come over. Like, I mean, he has, you have like five or six games going at once. I mean, yes. he has, wow. We got about stuff. 30 students in the club, and we are we are playing, playing away. The most popular game right now is a game called Diplomacy, huh. which is a game that is played at my, my home diocese in Minnesota, the Winona Diocese. Seminarians play a round of this every single night. Wow. Um, and the, the key to diplomacy is you have to really do face-to-face negotiations with people. And you, you might keep your promise. You might not. And so it's a – in fact, the guy who created diplomacy was a Harvard grad. And he died um, a year ago or two years ago. And his mm-hmm. wife has been getting all these letters from people. And they, most of the letters said, hey, I, I, wa- I wasn't a very socially skilled person. And I learned my social skills by playing this while also learning geography and history. It was JFK's favorite board game, wow. and it's Henry Kissinger's favorite board game. So, it, so it's, wow. I, it's oftentimes when we present the faith, it's this abstract thing. Like mm-hmm. we're presenting the dogmas, and we need to do that. But I want to get it into the science room. I want to get it um, into history. I want to get it you know, in, in our writing skills, in our literature. You know, how do you sure. interpret the Bible? There's reading skills there. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a philosophy club here at the school, so I've got wow. about eight eighth graders, eight, eight to ten eighth graders, that we're meeting a couple of times a week, uh, just for an hour after school to do philosophy and to introduce them to some really good, solid philosophers, and to start giving yeah. them their first little philosophy library. Well, I think it's um, hard as a just Catholic education as a whole now has changed so much in this country. I mean, it was run by religious before, right? So it was very easy, I think, for them to incorporate. I mean, if you're a religious sister. The faith is your life. So it's easy to incorporate the faith into math, into history, into science. But now that we've sort of lost that from our Catholic education system, it's harder to kind of go back and say, well, like, now our lay teachers are expected to do this as well. I mean, I think it's a a hard thing to sort of reclaim. And so it's great that you're (laughs) 
bringing that back. But no kidding, good job, man. No, I'm I'm glad to do, it, but I I think this is partly from a teacher's perspective what the new evangelization is all about. Mm-hmm. It's just to reinforce the reality that faith is not a 40 minute class. Yeah, it's not something you go it's to not on something we Sunday do on for mass. Yeah. You know, it, there's mm-hmm. this is a reality. In fact, actually, this is how the real world and faith interact. I think that a lot of times when we think about the real world and faith, we, we just reduce it to morality. So you just need to go out there and serve at a soup kitchen, which we need to do. But I, I want them to see that, that what we talk about in faith has application to just the way the universe, the world, the nations, everything works, the way we write language. Um, in fact, Frank Sheed was a, just a wonderful writer. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite books is a book that he wrote called Theology and Sanity. And the idea mm-hmm. of the title is the one who knows God is the one who is the most sane. Because if God is the ultimate reality, then to keep him fixed in your mind is to put you into contact with reality itself. And mm-hmm. that's why we have such great theologians and priests in the history of the church that, that yes, they, they wrote great things theologically, but we were interested in the way that the world works. We yeah. wanted to know how God is working in history. Isn't I mean, that like, right, the, like the Chesterton, what, what did Chesterton say there? That basically that the poets and the, the artists are the ones that go crazy because they're searching for some truth or some reality, and that's a hard thing to find in an abstract art. But it's the mathematicians, the scientists that are the sane ones because they can find that ultimate reality, especially mm-hmm. as a, a Christian scientist. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, how about you guys? What, what are your experiences as far as the, the new evangelization? I am glad you brought this up because <laughs> last night, I'm not kidding, guys. My roommate is very into, um, and he's very knowledgeable about the Bible, and he goes to a Protestant church here in Kansas City, and he's... He just pops his head in every once in a while, and he's like, okay, as a Catholic, what does Catholic believe here, and what does this mean? And so, I, you know, I do my best, but sometimes, you know, it's like, wow, I've, I've not thought about that one. Like, <laughs> why are priests male? I, hmm, you know, and so we'll do some research, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll clearly say, right now, the answer's not in my brain, but let's find out. And And so it's... I, I don't know. It is that dialogue thing, and I'm I'm definitely trying to be respectful and, and not smash uh, his beliefs and vice versa. And I don't I don't know. I think it is continually happening, and especially now that uh, Pope Francis is kind of out there, people are starting to kind of look a little bit harder at at the Catholic life. And I don't know. It's kind of cool. Sure. So. Yeah, that is my experience, and random enough, it happened last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. I've seen really effective evangelization that sometimes people that really know the faith well have a hard time explaining to a friend or something that may be Protestant or otherwise because they're like, well, this is just the way it is, and I don't know. But I think it's cool when you kind of learn along with someone. Like, I mean, it's hard to know everything about the Catholic uh, faith. It's huge. So when you, 2,000 you kind of years like, deep. I don't know why priests are males. And you kind of, there's an openness there, and you're not, you're not shutting him down. And, well, they're just male because they are, or whatever. You know, it's, I think that's a, an effective tool because well, you're and, friends, you know. And I think as a Catholic, the worst thing you can say to a Protestant is, oh, tradition, you know. And, <laughs> and then check, checkmate. But then it's like, no, you just made you look like an idiot. And it's like when my daughter asked for a cookie. Why, why can't I have a cookie? Well, because I said because, so. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, in reality, uh, that, that only kind of closes the door, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 
actually learning, and here's a fun fact, the there's only male priests because Jesus was male. He, his 12 apostles were male, and his apostles brought on male priests. That is why, according to the Ask catholicism.com <laughs> yeah the current i the current defense i think that the church has been using about the male priesthood is yeah. is that jesus instituted a male priesthood he chose 12 men and that's that jesus said and there's nothing we can do to change his will which i mean yeah that's a fine enough argument but i sure. think we could go into and, and this is faith with other disciplines i, I think we could go into philosophical anthropology and we could draw there. And honestly, I'm in a grad school program right now, and I just wrote, got to write this great paper on um, the, the nature of masculine fraternity. One of my professors let me write this. It was so much fun. And I think if I did further study, this would be one of the things I'd like to do more on because the church has a set of maybe some stock answers for questions that come up. Yeah. This is a question that really hasn't come up in the, the church's history. This is more of a modern question. And I would say that, that we haven't quite put forward the best theological answer sure. for this question. Now, the answer that Christ chose men, that's a fine enough argument that, that that works, but I think we can still do better. And this, I tell students, you should go into theology, study theology. You know, theology isn't just about counting the number of angels that can dance on the head of a pin. There are real practical questions that, that, will, be answer, that will be asked now and mm -hmm. a thousand years from now that we haven't even thought of yet. And we need theologians out there who, faithful to the church's tradition, yes, and faithful to scripture, yes, can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, help the church when we've got questions such yeah. as this. And there, there is more for us to do. Um, and, I, and I hope when you present that to students, they think, wow, this is a bigger world than I thought. It's not just this little textbook. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a contribution that I can make. And with the help of God, I can really give something to the faith, to the to the faithful, and to the mm -hmm. church, um, and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, hmm. I think so. Very cool. Well, I think one thing about the new evangelization too, right now, is that yes, we are trying to reach folks who maybe they aren't Christian at all. That that's part of like the old evangelization. I think a big part of the new evangelization. You look at the the numbers of people that come to mass on Sunday, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. in the United States, that has gone down, right? Yes. We need to be reaching out to those Catholics, and maybe they are baptized, but they aren't here now or maybe they just they they were baptized but never received any more sacraments and um, i have a philosophy degree from the uh, minnesota state university and i would say maybe every philosophy professor except for maybe one uh, they're all ex-catholic atheists who knew almost nothing about catholicism mm -hmm. and i have to tell you the conversations that i had with those professors after class <laughs> I, I got the department chair to do a medieval philosophy independent study with me and we met three times a week just the two of us get some coffee and read you know aquinas um and these great medieval philosophers who are also catholic and yeah. we had the best discussions and i i like to think that i was sowing some seeds there with my professors and that's part of the new evangelization mm -hmm. um it's reaching out to those catholics that you know um that 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 should be here but for some reason they're not and yeah. and reaching out to them yeah and i think it's a it's a leftover. We say like, okay, well, the new evangelization is happening here when the faith is sort of dying. And I think it's in a way we see these people that weren't properly evangelized in the first place, right? Like your professors, they didn't know much because 
they were they never got hit by the old evangelization. They were never really evangelized. Maybe they were culturally Catholic, or my parents were Catholic. Like, well, I don't understand this. That there's no logic here, so I'm going to leave. And well, can I say one personal story? Sure. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, good friend. Good friend of mine. While I lived in Alabama, uh, Catholic. One of these guys who, again, would kind of lower in the seat when the Catholic question came up. Well, eventually, <laughs> he was so beat down that he. He found more fellowship in a Protestant church, and I, I went to go visit that church um, to just maybe reach out to him again, and maybe reach out to some of the people that might be at that church. And, and the youth, the youth ministry coordinator there, he for some reason the night that I was there, he, he asked, "How do Catholics make the sign of the cross? Is it is it is it left to right across, or is it right to left across?" And my friend, he piped in right away. He said, "It's up, down, left, right, and that's it." And he's like, man, how'd you know that so fast? And he said, well, every time I went into church, I said to myself, up, down, left, right, get in the pew. <laughs> he, he never connected this outward act with the words in the name of the Father yeah. and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that in the sign of the cross, we are recognizing the two great mysteries of our faith, the Trinity and the Incarnation. Mm-hmm. But see, for so many of us, we come to church, and, and maybe he's not the only one out there who simply says, up, down, left, right, get in the pew. Mm-hmm. He, he, the faith, he was not evangelized. evangelized and, and so reaching out to folks that are in that boat, that's part of the new evangelization yeah. um, to show that, yeah, we're, we're Catholic, we're Christian, we love our faith, and, and we've got something positive to give to the world. Yeah. Um, and, and getting in there to do that, that's, that's the new evangelization. And that's the hard part when you say, okay, if they've never been evangelized, it's in a way like why we bother catechizing them as in why do we get into this moralistic or like the nitty-gritty of the faith like why is home why is gay marriage wrong right that that doesn't matter if you haven't been evangelized right if you don't know who christ is some of these arguments yeah there's arguments from natural law and stuff but it's hard to make an argument i think um from the perspective of the church if someone doesn't know christ then they don't care why this moral truth is true if they don't know the truth in the first place. And I think it's from the perspective of sort of like outreach and I do in youth ministry, um, it's in a way kind of a mix of the old evangelization and we're kind of reaching kids who have never um, seen Christ or heard of Christ even in their home and a little bit of the new, you know, and I think that, you know, some I've heard it said many times that the new evangelization is sometimes going to look a lot like the old evangelization in that, the apostles after Christ rose and Pentecost, all that, they're they're sort of preaching to the choir and they weren't being heard. So they said, let's go out to the streets, let's go out to the nations, right, to those that are going to be open and receptive to this. And that's sometimes what we do in youth ministry and to this outreach and that we're going to that kind of reforming the old evangelization sometimes, that, that we need that here in the Western church sometimes, that there are people who still haven't received that first evangelization and... Which I well, think that's what Pope Francis is kind of working on. And, and uh, if, if I may, I'm going to be giving uh, a, a little talk about the yeah. first year of Pope Francis yeah. uh, next week. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, yes, the first year of his pontificate. But I also want to look in, and see where is he going? Where, where is he taking the church? Um, and I would say Pope Francis, when, when those issues of the, mor- the moral issues, gay marriage, uh, women priests, whatever the issues are, um, uh, he is going to direct us at the heart of the evangelization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think from what he is giving us, 
um, he's going to put us into contact with the primary actors of salvation history. Yeah. He's talked more about the devil than probably uh, any of the Pope of the last 50 or 60 mm-hmm. years, but that doesn't get covered. I mean, we saw a picture of him like giving a, an exorcism, what looked like an exorcism. Um, and so there are some of these things about Pope Francis and the new evangelization and putting us in contact with the gospel, yeah. putting us in contact with these primary actors like Christ, the apostles, Marian femininity, who is the devil, this is our enemy, yeah. you know, what is going on at, uh, at, at the heart of the church. And when yeah. you look at those, then all of a sudden the church is teaching about women or the male priesthood mm-hmm. or about gay marriage. All of a sudden it makes sense because we're looking at those things in light of our faith and not just whatever is trending politically. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's some of the things I want to touch on next week. And I, I'm thinking uh, the Times for this is going to be next Thursday uh, at 7 p.m. in the mm-hmm. Parish Hall. That's March 27th. It's just going to be an hour. Um, and I'm, In fact, I'll try to cut myself off and talk a little bit less than an hour so I can open it up to uh, questions and answers Very because cool. that's sure. always the best part. So I'm yeah. looking forward to doing that. Yeah, and I think it's so beautiful. I mean, our past two popes, John Paul II and Benedict XVI, have been such amazing theologians that it's cool to have them leave this legacy of this is the faith and this is what we need to do in the faith. And now Pope Francis comes along and does it. And I think that's what you're saying. Like he's really pointing us to like the origin story. Like who yeah. is Christ? How do we follow him? And how do we put all this into action? That's awesome. Very good. I'm also well, going to touch on the Pope Francis effect and the uh, how that's going to play out. Where are we at now? Where are we going? It's going to be a cool night. Very cool. 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 Awesome. Well, Andrew, that was amazing. That was yes. a great discussion. I hope everybody listening got as much out uh, out of it as I did. Well, thank you so much yeah. for having me. This was this was great. And hopefully, we can have you back on soon sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, continue yeah. this or talk about a whole new random topic. Just, yeah. yeah, there's there's everything to talk yeah. about. But uh, sadly, not sadly, but. We should be going to the news. Yes. As much as I want to keep talking about this. Move on. Move bit, on sure. to the news. Um, we draw these from the bulletin. Uh, read the bulletin. We're not going to say everything here, obviously, but we, we'll get the highlights. Um, first off, the station uh, Stations of the Cross are Wednesdays of Lent at 530. Uh, bring the family and walk the way of the cross with our Lord. Cool. Right after Stations Across, we have confessions every Wednesday, and not just here. Um, if you get off work or wherever you are, over by St. Agnes or by Ascension or whatever, every church in the Archdiocese from 6 to 7 is offering confession. We really encourage this time of Lent to hit up confession and sort of renew ourselves, our soul, for the coming of Christ and his resurrection. And uh, the communal penance service is Sunday, April 13th at 3 p.m. Real quick. Again, I'm glad I'm sitting with you guys. (laughs) Communal penance service. Is that when you goof up and go to confession and you do something so bad you end up at another special mass? Or or is this... What what exactly is this mass? A time that the church... I mean, it's it's confession. And in the past, yeah, you used to have to stand up in front of the congregation and say, hey, I did this horrible thing and put on my sackcloth. Early church. Early, early church, yeah. Now we don't have to confess our sins in front of everyone. It's just Father Keith here. (laughs) But it's just a time that we can say sort of all the prayers together together as a a congregation. We, We go through the examination of conscience, sort of guided through that. It's a good time if you haven't been for a long time to help sort of guide you through what it's like to go through confession again which is part of um, the new evangelization yeah that really <laughs> is this is this this is the church hierarchy 
instituting something that is really part of the new evangelization to reach out to Catholics. Hey, you haven't been to, you haven't been to church in 30 years and you want to come to confession and get back and jump in. Great. We're going to walk you through this. Yeah. You know, we're this gonna is do a this great together. thing to do it. Yeah. yeah. Except confession you confess on your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have to stand up there and say, this is what I did on St. Patrick's day, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. And, Come to Andrew's talk. That was next. That's yeah. going to be awesome. Be there Thursday um, at seven, just to say Thursday Parish at Hall. seven. Yes. Yep. Uh, and next up, I've gone to one of these School of Love. Really cool. Mike Denahan used to work here at Saint Anne because we're slowly evangelizing all of Prairie Village here. He used to have part of Andrew's job. He's moved on to other things, but he's now running School of Love. Uh, this is really cool. If you've heard of School of Faith, they offer these classes. Um, sort of a, you know, here's an introduction to the catechism or the gospel of Mark, whatever. This is like an, his, for married couples, sort of a renewal or getting a little bit deeper into what it is to be married and to communicate. And every Thursday, the first Thursday of every month, they offer a little date night for Catholics, Catholic couples, married couples. I guess you can go if you're engaged and stuff too. That'd be kind of cool. But it's from 6.30 to 7.30 at O'Neill's, right over by Curie there um, okay. in the party room, the little Irish pub there. It's 94th and Mission uh, they have drinks, which you have to pay for. Appetizers are free, and then he's gonna, he always gives a little bit of talk on sort of faith and marriage and family and stuff. So cool. Show up for that. Mike is awesome. So he if is. you're out there and you're married or engaged, be there. Or even thinking about marriage. Yes, I guess there. it's kind of cool. It's, just, so. it's awesome. Have you been to one of them? I, no, I haven't gotten to go. I, yeah. I did all my because I got married in May, mm-hmm. um, and I my wife and I went through everything with, with Mike with the School of Love, and he is awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, I can't speak highly enough. Of yeah. Mike. So, yeah. Um, I, I I think if I lived in Prairie Village, I, I'm I'm way out in the country. But sure. hopefully, one of these days, I will move back here. Then I can get out there with them. Yeah. But, and but it's a anything lot of that Mike's doing, couples. gotta go. It's yeah. It's, yeah. A lot of Saint Anne people there and stuff. Anyway, so you'll probably know one or two couples and stuff. So yeah, show up for that. Very good. Um, moving on. Wraps up our news. Yeah, yeah. The news is over. I think yeah. we're moving on to the gospel. Yes. And all, this is all the readings. Upcoming readings. Um, the first reading is from uh, Samuel chapter 16, 1, 6 through 7, 10 through 13. Those are the verses. Psalm uh, chapter 23, 1 through 6. The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 14. And Gospel is John chapter 9, 1 through 4. So, so yeah, read through all of those, obviously. Focus on that Gospel. Um, and we're just going to have a little reflection here. So on this uh, third or fourth Sunday. Wow, it's hard to... We're projecting ahead Time here. Time just flies. Is it going to be the fourth Sunday when you hear this? I think so. This is yeah. going to be the fourth Sunday for you of Lent. Um, but God chooses and he elects David as the second king of Israel. Well, the first king Saul is still reigning the young David seen through human eyes seems as an unlikely successor this reading is paired with the gospel story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind as his physical sight grows clearer the man comes to see the one who healed him truly who he truly is the religious leaders who witness the healing choose not to see the truth if they did it would change their whole world so what would we see if we looked through God's eyes? What would we see? Who would we see as God's elect? And what would we do if we saw as God sees? Think about that. Cool readings. Definitely. Yeah. Very good. Well, guys, that wraps up the show. 
Um, thank you so much, Andrew. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me. God um, bless you both. <laughs> Shah, always a pleasure. Every time. It is. <laughs> uh, but for the listeners, please uh, get involved. Uh, we, just like Andrew came on the show, we want to hear from you. We want to... We want to hear voices, and we want we want this to be not just a show, a podcast for the church. We want this to be a, a real forum here. We yeah. want people. If to you get have involved. a story like firsthand experience of the new evangelization, whether it's by Andrew's teaching at RCIA or Father Keith up in the pole, anything that you maybe you were re-evangelized, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, and definitely, uh, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, we're on there. Uh, our links are on the website, which is stan, S-T-A-N-N-P-V-Blog.org. And, um, yeah. Well, guys, that wraps up the show. Thank you so much again, uh, and thank you for listening. I'm Jay. I'm Shaw. I'm Andrew. God bless. <laughs>